We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome in to another episode of The Pod is the Roof, the Field of 68's very own UNC basketball podcast. I am your host, Jacob Karabatsis, joined as always by my clean-shaven, lovely co-host, Riley Davis. Pretty interesting weekend for UNC. We already recapped the insane Tennessee game. Uh, some, Some scaries in the Florida State game and a huge one coming up against UConn we're gonna break all of it down for you guys but first Riley how we doing man I'm good man it's got to be weird for the viewers at home to see uh two <laughs> like two olive complexion white boys still but you know we got a little little bit of color in us both wearing uh black hoodies with a uh, you know I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm just like looking. I'm like, why do we look? We we look way too similar right now. <laughs> it's the backgrounds too, man. I don't have my I don't have my usual background with me, so it's like, you know, unfortunately, people are going to focus on our faces a little more. So it's going to be tough scenes for them, man. Yeah, it's uh, I'm do I'm doing well. I uh, five minutes into the second half of the Florida State game, I didn't know how well I'd be doing. Um, mm-hmm. it was quite a concerning first 25 minutes of basketball. And then I think a lot of things happened, you know, a flip. Sw- it's like, it's weird because they sparked an insane comeback by running a full court press that I quite frankly, haven't seen a UNC team have in their bag in a mm-hmm. long time. It's not like they started hitting shots. I mean, they finished the game 22% from deep. They just forced turnovers, created a bunch of open looks. I thought this was, we talked about it last week, the Hubert Davis sleeper for coach of the year. This is one of those like Hubert's been in his bag type of games. Mm-hmm. What was your main takeaway? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that. The The press, I think I had uh, someone watching it, one of my friends who was a little bit better at the X's and O's than I, than I am pointed out that it looked like a diamond and one press that got most of it done. I didn't, I didn't do the tape review on that, but um, even when I'd be curious, like even times last year when UNC pressed, 
we would see it kind of cut into the lead like that. That game at Virginia Tech comes to mind. That was uh, the fourth loss of the four game losing streak that the the heels never recovered from. You know, I'm, I I would be interested to see like what are the breakdown of the the presses that UNC won, but or excuse me that UNC ran last year. Um, but yeah, I would say like the the press the the fact that it it actually led to a comeback where UNC was able to get the lead build the lead build a pretty sizable lead and actually finish the job and win that seemed huge to me because you know over the past two seasons it seems like there have been multiple games I mentioned that Virginia Tech won the one at Wake Forest last year too where Carolina probably went down twenty and Caleb Love hit three or four threes in the second half and kept getting it down to like five or six points, but it never really felt like UNC could get over the hump. It sort of felt like almost meaningless comebacks or too little too late. It was awesome to see them actually pull off a comeback. Um, And I think it's going to give confidence to this group. It's, you know, I would say Florida state is a team that's probably a point guard away from being a really good team. They, they sort of scream NIT to me, Um, but still with their size and athleticism, they can cause some matchup issues, especially for a smaller team like North Carolina. So all in all, like it's good to, to get through these, these, tough battles in conference, like first conference game coming off of a really emotional win, uh, you know, wasn't pretty, but you'd rather win ugly than, than lose a, you know, an 80 to 90 point shootout. So I'll take it. Yeah. I'm, I thought this was interesting just because it was like a tale of two tapes. You know, we, we sat here and watched UNC shoot 48% from deep against what at the time was the best defense in the nation. They scored a hundred to beat Tennessee. And then they come out and they can't hit a shot, which you kind of expected the percentage to negatively regress a little bit, but they come out and they can't hit a shot. And all I'm thinking to myself when they're down 48 to 35 is I'm like, I'm about to see how good this team is because last Mm -hmm. year they lose that game by probably 10 plus, maybe even more because they just, they didn't have what they showed this in this game last year. And it was just, it was one of those things where I wanted to see that UNC was not just going to live or die by the three, that they could actually mm-hmm. win a game that they weren't hitting shots from deep. And right. You know, that that's the part, like it takes some serious moxie to be missing every shot you're taking just about and actually stay focused. And they stay like, that is one of the most physical and aggressive UNC games I've seen in a while. And that's like mm-hmm. all me and you talked about is we just want to see effort. And man, I know that like, for example, I was talking to our guy G Wizzy about it and he was like roasting. Of course he was like, listen, man, you just struggled against the Florida state team and it wasn't pretty. Like this is a weird time to be in on the heels, but see, I would actually argue that this is the perfect time to be in on the heels because they could have easily laid down after getting a huge win on Wednesday night and been like, all right, whatever. We're just going to lose this one, move on to UConn. They didn't. Right. They're seven and one. They've shown they can win in a multitude of ways. Like I-, I came away impressed. The only concern I have, which I would like for you to chime in on letting Florida state shoot 43% from three is not optimal. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> I think like as good as the second half was as encouraged as I felt, um, by how they battle back. Yeah, you make great points. Like, uh, again, the fact that they, it, it feels like that's the type of games that good to great to elite teams win. Like, you see it 
every year it feels like top 10 teams, they're able to fall behind like that and pull off a big comeback. Uh, One of the games that comes to mind, this was like four or five years ago, one of the Cassius Winston Michigan State teams fell down like 25 points against Northwestern and they reeled off a comeback like that. Like you, the, these type of comebacks, you know, you see it a lot more in the NBA where a 15 point deficit is nothing. Teams can erase it in a blink of an eye because of just the talent level of shooting, but you still see it a good bit at the college level. It's just, it's usually sort of the upper echelon of teams are able to pull them off. So yeah, I, I think that was super encouraging. I don't want to minimize that at all, but the, yeah, that first half was uh, about as bad as Carolina's played all season. Um, Maybe that's an exaggeration because they looked there were stretches of the Lehigh game where they looked pretty weak and that Northern Iowa game might have been worse. But (laughs) even Northern Iowa, though, it's it seemed like there weren't the defensive lapses that happened uh, against Florida State, like multiple uncontested threes. I mean, Jameer Watkins had a step in shot where there wasn't a soul around him and he's their best player. Like that's the one guy who you can't lose. And, um, you know, bad closeouts or guys biting on pump fakes to get that lead to an open shot. It was, yeah, these types of miscommunications that if that happens against UConn, those leads, they can build a lead and build it and build it and build it. And they have a little more poise and a little better guard play to where they're not just going to turn the ball over on every possession. If you throw a diamond in one press. At them. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my biggest, like, that's my biggest thing is, I don't want UNC's takeaway from this win to be like, you know, it's okay if we start slow, we've got to press the ball back on because, right. you know, I'm fine with pressing. Honestly, from what I saw, like I think there should be stretches of every single game this year where they throw a press out there, mm-hmm. like at some mm-hmm. point, but I don't want them to become reliant on it because like you said, like we're about to see it these next two games, you cannot do that against UConn or Kentucky. And I know Kentucky just lost to Wilmington. Their guards are still phenomenal. They're freshmen, but they're phenomenal. And then you play a team like UConn who's very well coached, isn't going to beat themselves. It's going to be a completely different ball game, but you know, I I do want to spend some time on this because I like, I don't see how we can, have a pod as the roof episode at this point without bringing this man up but like dude Elliot Cadeau just absolutely revolutionizes the ceiling of this team like up until the um the bad pass out of bounds that he kind of sailed a little bit I think he had Mm -hmm. went like 64 straight minutes without a turnover or something like that This dude's poise, and, like, I don't think people – like, if you're not watching the game, you probably don't get it. Because if you look at the box score, other than the Tennessee game, you're looking at it like, okay, whatever. He's Mm -hmm. facilitating. He's a point guard. But this this dude's energy, and he was such a key part of that press, getting the ball, um, creating plays, like, Mm -hmm. getting it out in transition. And then he made some super, super clutch – baskets that were just tough drives like offhand switching to his dom like he just I mean I just can't believe that this kid is supposed to be in high school like what Mm -hmm. like what is how different is this team if Elliot Cadeau does not reclassify we're definitely not seven and one I'll tell you that much (laughs) um speaking of when do you think the last time UNC started out seven and one was oh take a guess My guess would be 2017. 
the your close is the 2017-2018 season. Oh. Um, they started out 10 and 1. Only loss was to Michigan State in the PK 80. Uh, that, I don't know if you remember that game, but they sort of dominated Carolina on the inside. Oh, they, uh, yeah. Roy was pretty upset because <laughs> Roy. Never if I'm not mistaken, that I had to watch Jaron Jackson Jr. go absolutely belligerent in that game. I think that was his freshman year. I'm pretty sure wrong. you're right. Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. was yep. in that game. He, he only had three. He only had three points though. It was Joshua Langford that that torched us. Twenty three oh, points, God. five made threes. Um, but yeah, that UNC team started out ten and one. Oddly enough. Sixth best offense in the country that year, 38th best defense. Fast forward to 2024, and we have fifth best offense in the country, 36th best defense. A lot of interesting comparisons that you might be able to draw from those two teams. Um, but yeah, so all that is to say, Cadeau's been a huge part of this hot start. Um, it's funny that, like, <laughs> I feel like we've talked about how much we love Cadeau, we've talked about how much we love Ingram, while RJ Davis is just like scoring nearly 30 points a game over his last like four or five and we're just crickets about it um and i'll get to rj in a second but yeah what cadeau did with those late baskets it just seems like you know he's he's looking to pass he's looking to get his guys involved but um late in games when we needed a bucket it it just feels like he can get by his man whenever he wants and yeah some of those finishes are really crafty he draws a lot of contact too i've been really impressed by he gets more foul calls. That it feels like he gets more foul calls than RJ gets. It's well, yeah. it's the change of pace, man. Like I'm not lying to you. RJ is undoubtedly the best scorer on the team, but if there's ten, if there's like ten seconds or less left on the shot clock, I want Cadeau with the ISO, not Davis, because he blows by almost everyone that guards him. Like he is just. He gets he's gonna get to the rim. He might not make it, but he's getting downhill. And mm-hmm. that's why I just watch it and I sit here and think and I'm like, dude, as long as he stays healthy, how good this kid's gonna be by the middle of January. I mean, we're already seeing the uptick a little bit. It, it's like this dude could end up being like a 10 and seven or a 10 and eight a night because he's just he's that good and he's not mm-hmm. even supposed to be in college right now. Like it's, it's unbelievable, man. And to, to the point about RJ, I know this sounds absolutely insane, but I think the reason I personally don't bring up RJ is because it's, it's, you know, nuts. I think they said he became only the 10th Tar Heel ever to have three straight games of 27 or more points, but RJ would be doing that regardless. Even if this team was <laughs> three and five, RJ would be cooking. So I don't know. It's just like, it's weird. It's a, it's almost like he's uh getting graded on a harsher rubric. Cause we've known he's been a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> like the man put up 30 points against a one seed Baylor in a tournament game less than two years ago. Uh, we've seen him do it on the biggest stage. The man had 30 in Cameron and packed up coach K like we've seen, we've seen him do it for almost half a decade now to where it's just not surprising anymore. Um, but I do want to give RJ his, his flowers. Cause what he's done is special as far as, um, you know, just a penchant for knocking down big threes. He's improved his finishing around the rim. Like, I think he's looks like he's even had a little craft to his layup package. Um, so yeah, it's, it's again, the, the criticism all off season was that RJ and Elliot couldn't work together because of the size. And I don't know if anybody said they couldn't work together, but that was the big knock. And all I got to say is other teams have to guard them too. 
It's really and the on off numbers. Like, <laughs> if you don't believe what we're saying, go look at the on off numbers. Go look at on-off. RJ with and without Trimble. Mm-hmm. The net rating and the offensive rating goes up like eight points. It's with it's with Cadeau. You, you, yeah, you you made you dropped you made a mistake and mentioned Melo's little brother Trimble. Uh, he said the on he said the on off numbers with uh with Trimble. Yeah, Mello's brother. Yeah, really? That's actually insane. I've just been on a Trimble <laughs> kick lately. Even if, whether it's Seth or Mello, I've just been on a Trimble <laughs> kick lately. Um, I guess that I'm, I'm telling you that tweet I sent you, that dude must watch the bottom <laughs> the roof because it, it'd be dope if Seth Trimble was somehow related to Mello Trimble. Unfortunately, he's not. But um, for those for those who didn't see it, there was a, a draft Twitter guy who was tweeting out about tweeting something about Seth Trimble's good year so far. I mentioned that he's the younger brother of Mello Trimble when in fact Younger brother of JP Tokido, our listeners, there's a 99% chance they already knew that. But um, yeah. can I add can, can I add one last note about Cado before we go ahead and uh get into this UConn matchup? Yes. So Cado's rate, his free throw rate right now, 64.4% per Kim Pom. Um, I'm not a huge analytics guy as far as understanding what they mean. I know how to use them to make my point, but I think that means he's dr- getting to the free throw line or drawing a foul. 64% of his possessions used, maybe. I think that, that's it. I think it's I think it's on 64% of his attempts, if I'm not mistaken. And which would make sense because he does only shoot like five or six times a game and he does Fair. go to the free throw line a lot. Fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have to bring in my my stats guy Evan Miyakawa to explain <laughs> this to me like a like I'm 10. Uh but anyway, looking at the ACC, he hasn't played enough minutes to qualify for the for the leaders board on Kim Pom. Uh Trey White's leading the, the ACC in free throw rate, 65.1, which maybe this shows it, it doesn't mean it too much because it's a Louisville player. Um Judah Mintz, number two at 65%, Ryan Dunn at number three at 63%. So if Kadoa played enough minutes to qualify, he'd be third in the league right now, right behind Judah Mintz. And I don't know about you, but when I hear Mintz. I mean, that dude's entire game is attacking the basket, getting to the line, making the right pass. Like, that's really good company for Cadeau to be in if he's getting to the line at a similar clip to Mintz. Um, so, oh, yeah. Mintz is great for this offense. Honestly, the way Dunn's been playing, too, like Cadeau even being in the same stratosphere as them in mm-hmm. any offensive category is like, any scoring category, I should say, is is kind of nuts. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, if we're being honest, like this is kind of an elite time to be a the pod is the roof listener because if you just go back and listen to our to our preseason stuff, I mean, I, I'm gonna toot our own horns. Like we've been pretty much dead on. We didn't know they would be this good, but we've been pretty much dead on about how they could be good. Like. We've been dead on about how this team, everyone called us insane for saying they, they could have a top 10 offense first off, which is just so disrespectful. And I'm I'm taking notes and names because everyone <laughs> called us absolute psychos for that. And I got a, uh, I got a, I got a call, a call out Russell Hainline, AKA Duke better specifically for that. <laughs> That's my guy, Russell, listen to the crazy cast, support him. Uh, it, it's a Duke show, but they're uh, especially when Duke loses, it's an elite, elite listen. I'm not going to lie to you. And I let Russell know that like, Hey, when y'all lose, this is incredible. Um, but yeah, he laughed at me on a heat check podcast this summer when I said UNC was going to have a top 15 offense. And of course I had to text him as soon as they moved into the top five offenses after the Tennessee game, sent him a nice little screenshot showing where they're ranked, rubbed it in that, uh, his team is having quite the identity crisis right now. And, 
seems like no one other than Jeremy Roach could create a basket. So yeah, it's you know that's the thing though is like we said that this team could easily be a top fifteen offense, and everyone was hating. And then we also said all they had to do was be good enough on defense, like top forty. That's exactly what they've done so far, and the formulas led to seven and one. And I would also like to mention we predicted a nine and three non-con record. All they have to do is go two and two in these last four. And that comes to light. And it wouldn't even be terrible losses. If they lose to UConn and then lose to Kentucky or even Oklahoma at this point, like not bad losses. I mean, I truthfully think they will finish this stretch three and one. Um, I'm buying it too. I'm a little worried. And this will transition right into the preview. We're about to get back to back angry, angry squads. And I hate that. (laughs) Like, I wish we could be playing UConn coming off of a a win at Allen Fieldhouse. Like, I really, really wish we could because that's when you could catch them when they're down. If they were 8-0, right. just got a huge win on the road. Like, now they're going to be coming out pissed. And then we're going to play Kentucky. They're going to be looking to get another big win because they just lost to Wilmington. So, UNC will have their hands full this week. Um, So, you're about to see a lot of episodes from us because there's some big ones this week. But... I mean, what is your initial initial thought after seeing Kansas take down UConn and how, mm. yes, it makes them angry, but how might that translate to some UNC success? Yeah, I think as far as that UConn game goes, you know, like they did an admirable job getting back in the game after that hot start by Kansas where it felt like they couldn't miss. And, you know, this says – I don't even think I knocked you kind of my rankings because like you lose by four at Allen Fieldhouse. Who cares? That's like basically a win <laughs> to only lose by yeah. four in that building. That building's impossible to win in. Um, yeah, even looking at like it felt like that game that Kansas dominated in transition, um, but they only scored 12 fast break points compared to UConn's eight. It, it wasn't like Kansas just ran them off the court, but I, I think like McCuller in particular looked pretty nimble getting up and down the floor. Um and I want to say like that, you know, that's again where we're, we're going to want to see Harrison Ingram replicate something like that. It feels like every single game Ingram's been able to get a breakaway dunk off of a steal, and that that sort of sets the tone. It seems to energize the team. McCuller had a couple plays like that that would that give gives me hope that UNC can can have Ingram be similarly disruptive with his hands. Um, so I, I think Carolina's got to get up and down and run like UConn's have been a great transition team so far this year. Um, they're, I want to say top 30 in the country, Carolina's I think in the sixties. Um, but it's not, you know, not a, I kind of think, I don't know. Like I want to say UNC has probably played a tougher schedule, um, to where I trust those transition numbers a little bit. Like, yeah, I mean, UConn's best wins right now are over on a neutral against the, very mediocre Indiana team and a decent Texas team. Outside of that, they played a lot of sub 200, sub 300 Kim Palm teams. Um, and then the Kansas loss, of course. So uh, I would buy, you know, UNC's transition attack is maybe slightly stronger than, than UConn's. Um, but then when the game gets in the half court, the biggest key, I think for Carolina is staying disciplined on defense because UConn, they, they run a ton of sets. Uh, they run a ton of, Dribble handoffs, off-ball screens, zoom action type stuff, um, different variations of that. Sometimes they'll have uh, Alex Caravan coming off of a pin down that 
Cam Spencer sense. Cam Spencer might set a ghost screen and get open underneath the basket. You you have to stay disciplined and communicate because if you leave Spencer open or you leave Caravan open or even Tristan Newton open, uh, that's going to be some pretty easy buckets. Like you, you cannot have those lapses that you had against Florida State because UConn has better shooters, better athletes, better ball movement, better everything, and they're going to make you pay. Yeah, so that's kind of – that's the two things is, all right, I want, I will admit, like, I do feel a little bit confident in UNC's ability to make shots in this game simply because nothing fell last game. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think they're going to come out and shoot 45%, but I mean, I think they're going to give us a modest 33 to 36%. When you look at the formula for Kansas, the you know, they won that game because – they shot nine of 14 from three, which this team cannot shoot. So that is truthfully outlandish that they did that. And second off, you the, you lose to UConn almost instantly if you have double-digit turnovers. And, you know, we had 13 against Florida State, which sucks. Kansas had eight turnovers. Kansas shot very efficiently from deep. The key is just going to be, like you said, on defense, you know, communicating because they do have so many, especially with Castle, coming back it just adds another layer of difficulty to defending this group um so that it does sting a little bit but i think the communication on offense and just not forcing like you can't have those long into the shot clock give it to rj with seven seconds left he'll hit a couple crazy shots but like Mm -hmm. you have to be smart with the ball and that's where i think this does become like a i think this becomes the true test game for Cadeau because his ability to facilitate the offense and continue to not turn the ball over and make insanely smart decisions could be the difference in this game. Like we're going to have some turnovers. We're obviously not going to play a perfect game, but I think if, if we keep, if we take care of the ball and we at least just force them to take a few difficult threes, I mean, I just, I really think we match up with them well like Mm -hmm. we have the size to compete with them you know if they do want to play more guards we've shown a bunch of ability to run out a Trimble RJ Cadeau Ingram Baycott lineup so we can kind of match whatever way Hurley chooses to go you know I'm I'm worried about an angry UConn team but I'll be honest like I think I'm a little bit more scared of Kentucky am I insane for saying that We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. As you guys know by now, we've partnered with BetMGM Sportsbook for this college basketball season. We're going to be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks and predictions throughout the college basketball season. And we are going to have special offers for you, the listeners and the viewers on the field of 68, each and every week during the season. If you haven't signed up with BetMGM yet, use the bonus code FIELD1500 and you will get up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager on BetMGM Sportsbook. Here's what you got to do. Download the BetMGM app. Sign up using the bonus code FIELD1500. Deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. You will receive up to $1,500 in bonus bets if that bet loses. Just make sure you use the bonus code FIELD1500 when you sign up. And remember, BetMGM is now available under one wallet in select states. As a New Jersey resident, this is super convenient for me when I have to go cover games in New York or Philly. When cross the state borders, just log into your existing account instead of having to create new accounts in each state that you go to. And most importantly, I got to let you know, we do have some fun stuff coming up for this college basketball season. Bet insurance tokens, college hoops odds boosts, my personal favorite, parlay odds boosts. So download the BetMGM app today. Uh, Kentucky definitely seems more spurtable, more spurtability, whatever that phrase is, to where they can score in bunches more easily because you can have you can blink and Rob Dillingham can give you 15. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and their ball movement is really good. Uh, I don't want to overlook the fact just because they're coming off a loss, though, Connecticut, you still has the fourth best offense in the country. Um, you know, you mentioned that Trimble lineup. I think that's been a bit of a revelation being able to play like Seth, Seth making the progressions uh, to be a threat in the corner and to move really well without the ball and to be good on the offensive glass as well. And a great cutter. Some of the cuts he had against Tennessee did it again against Florida State runs the floor. Well, of course, Um He's also a lot more under control now. I've noticed mm -hmm. that like he's always been a freak athlete, but now he makes the freak athletic plays, but he's under control while doing it. He doesn't look Mm -hmm. like he's just freaking out in the air. Right, right. Yeah, he's got way more poise when he has the ball in his hands. Um and I don't know how much Stefan Castle's going to play. Like Hurley said today, the, the, the implication was that Castle's available. He's going to play, but there will be some restrictions. Um, sometimes those restrictions don't mean anything, and he could come out and look just as athletic and bouncy as ever and you know, give us buckets. Um, that's where I think Seth is going to be really important because Castle's a legit 6'6". And we, I think you're going to want to have Ingram on Caravan for, Caravan for most of the game. Um so like yeah, if Castle's in there, you probably want to have 
Seth in there as much as you can to have to be able to throw him uh to to throw him on you know their best their I guess not their best wing right now because I still would say Spencer's better but like their highest NBA potential wing um because I think you're you're gonna leave Cadeau on ball probably that seems to be where he's been best and can pressure a little bit and be you know pesky um and he's definitely succeeded more than he has off ball but um yeah I, I still think this UConn team. I mean, Spencer's apparently a little bit hobbled too, but I just still feel like that shooting combination between him and Carabin is like the scariest. And Tristan Newton, like that trifecta, that's even before we mentioned Klingon, who still is a really freaking good big man. Yeah, it's it's weird because first off, I would like to say I think this game ends up being the type of game that we thought the Tennessee game would be. I think this one probably gets slowed down. You probably see both teams taking tough shots and whoever makes a few more tough shots and wins the turnover battle probably wins. Um, Like I feel comfortable kind of saying the same thing. Like the first team to 65 probably wins this one too. Um, Because I, that's what I do think. Like when I say I'm more scared of Kentucky, UConn is definitely a better team. But if we force UConn to play our game the way we force Tennessee to play our game, I trust that we can beat them. Whereas if we force Kentucky to play our game, that's exactly what Kentucky wants us to do. Right, right. So it's like, it's tough, man. I will be ecstatic to see one and one in this stretch. If we go one and one and we're eight and two, I don't think we our ranking really even changes unless mm-hmm. we get absolutely blasted. Um, I just want to see one and one. Like that's that's the key for me. It's like if they go two and zero, oh, it's you know, it's the icing on the cake. But I want to see two close, a close game if we lose, and let me see one win. I'm feeling really good if we're in that spot. Um, and yeah, before we move on to four corners, I do want to get the final thoughts. Who's your X factor on each side, and what is your prediction? Uh, X factor on UConn side, I feel like it's pretty easy. Just Stefan Castle, sort of the unknown, uh, the NBA archetype projected lottery pick. You know, we don't know how healthy he is. He could be good to go when Hurley's downplaying it. He could be like actually limited because he hasn't played a game since November 11th. Um, which last time he played 17 points, attempted seven free throws. Like he's a, he's a monster. He's really good. He's a projected lottery pick for a reason. Um, but for Carolina, uh, I think I'm going to cheat and give two X factors. First one is the front court, aside from Armando and Ingram. Like, can UNC get a combined 15 to 20 good minutes out of Jalen Withers and Zayden High? Because I think Ingram's going to need, like, I don't know, like, uh, like Ingram. You're kicking Washington out of the rotation, man? Well, I'm thinking about the four spot particularly. Yeah. Um, this might not be Washington's game either because – Klingon just has so much size on him. Maybe maybe we see some Aconquo. That'd be okay. Fun. Hear um, me out. <laughs> I honestly could see Washington getting some run simply to move Klingon away from the basket. Because if he leaves Washington, That's we've fair. seen Washington score eight points in six minutes. So yeah, right, right. It's interesting. 
Yeah, it's a it's a chess match there, offense defense. But I just think it would be helpful if Zayden and and Withers can can be serviceable at the four spot to you know allow Carolina to go bigger if they want if they want to put Ingram at the three for some lineups to to match UConn's size, um, or even just to give Ingram a break so he doesn't have to play close to forty minutes. Uh, but you need one of those guys to be really disciplined on defense to to just play all out and give maximum effort. Um, you can't be blowing any closeouts or anything like that because, yeah, UConn's just going to take advantage of it. So that's X-Factor 1. Uh, second is R.J. Davis, New York kid, coming to the Garden. I just checked. UConn doesn't have anybody on their roster from NYC. Uh, I guess technically R.J.'s from a little bit north of the city, but still, you got to think he's like he's going to have a ton of family there and be ready to go in the Garden, and it it, it bodes very well for, another, for, a, for a 27-point outing. I mean, look, all I'm saying, the last time we saw an undersized, talented guard, um, of course, my camera's blurry now, so give it a second. But last time we saw an undersized, talented guard in the garden, your mind goes straight to Kimball Walker. So my mind actually went straight to Marquise Noel, but I get what you're saying. I mean... <laughs> Listen, that's kind of treasonous. I'm not gonna lie. If you're thinking Noel over Kimball Walker, you bro, Marquise Noel was so good last year, and he did it in the Garden. But I, I'll I'll get us back on track. That's true. Um, <laughs> it's like the UConn comparison too. But I just, I don't know, man. I don't think the streak ends on Tuesday, regardless of what happens. I think we get 27 plus again. I do. I think we're going to see that from RJ and my, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think, I think UNC wins. I think UNC wins by like three and it comes down to the wire. Um, but yeah, I'm picking Carolina in it. So I X factor wise, um, on the UNC side, I guess I'll be cheating too, by taking two. I mean, I think it's just the guards, the rotation of four guards because if they don't turn the ball over, it's very hard for me to imagine, imagine you would see losing this game. Like if they, if they keep the turnovers to like 10 or 11 or fewer, very hard for me to imagine them losing this game because I do think that half in a half court offense, they are better than UConn. Like, I don't think anyone would dispute that. It's just don't give up transition buckets don't let them win the point off turnover differential battle. So that's my X factor for us for UConn. I mean, it, it kind of sounds a little insane to call this man an X factor. Cause like coming into the year, we kind of had like in-poi hopes for this man almost, but mm-hmm. I do think it's clinging because the way he's played defensively has been incredible. And Armando has looked like Armando again, the last couple games. Mm-hmm. If he's able to limit that and really affect him defensively, whoever wins that big man battle, very big for their team. Because if mm-hmm. Baycott is able to like get him in early foul trouble, huge for UNC. If Klingon shuts Armando down and we start to get to that point where we're relying on everyone else, I could see us taking some very bad shots, and then that's huge for UConn. So that would be my X factor, and I am with you. I think UNC is going to win this game 76 to 71. That is my that is my final prediction. I do think it'll be a close one. I just think that the way UNC is playing right now and 
the flaws I saw in the UConn offense a little bit. Obviously, it's without Castle, but against Kansas, you know, Kansas is a great defensive team, but I think when it comes down to it, it's going to be about who can make more shots in this one. I like, and I just trust UNC to make more shots than honestly just about anyone mm-hmm. in the country right now. And, you know, you could call it bias, but the thing is, <laughs> how can you watch this team? You cannot name me another team that drops 100 on Tennessee, and I'm going to probably still be saying that two months from now when <laughs> UNC has an awful offensive outing that I'm just going to go back to us dropping 100 on Tennessee. But, yeah, man, I'm we're on the same page, man, per usual. And every time we've been on the same page this year, knock on wood, good things have happened. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say. If anybody calls it bias, like we've been we've been realistic <laughs> this whole offseason into the year. We talked about this team's potential weaknesses. I think we both had similar uh similar expectations for this year. You probably were a little bit higher on the heels than I was going into the season, but um you know, we've both been watching UNC basketball for a while. We know a good Carolina team when we see one and this is I'm confident this is a good team. So Oh, I'm there is no doubt in my mind that that this team, this feels like Carolina basketball again. And the talent is there. It actually feels like we have a few NBA guys on the team again, which is great. Um, This is the deepest Carolina team we've had in a while. Hubert has just been outstanding. Like Hubert has been one of the best coaches in the nation up to this point, which I never thought I would be saying that. Like, you know, I, to eight games into the season like he's been fantastic and yeah like even the one loss they have like I cannot blame Hubert for that game like that was not on him so he's been great um it's it's fun man I, I genuinely don't see a reason this shouldn't be a second weekend of March team unless something crazy happens I'm still not necessarily sold on on, on a title run just yet mm-hmm. but I am sold on a second weekend um yeah i'm just glad it feels good that carolina basketball is back now let's get in speaking of carolina basketball to our four corners i'm assuming anyone that listens to this probably a diehard college basketball fan as riley and i are you know what happened this weekend this was one of those weekends where everyone's true colors were shown and (laughs) we were basically informed by a lot of mid-majors and a lot of unranked teams that, hey, this season is wide open and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, Bunch of upsets over the weekend. It was nuts. So we're going to give you two teams we're not worried about losing and two teams that it might be time to worry about and hit the panic button on. Riley, I will give you the first pick here, sir. For team that I'm worried about or team I'm not worried about? Whatever order you see fit, I will follow your lead. All right, I want to talk about Auburn for a second, and that might seem out of left field uh, because it's like, did Auburn even have high expectations going into the year? Personally, I thought they were going to be a really good team. I've had them ranked in my top 25 all year. I picked them to win the SEC and love their combination of a really good front court with Jani Broom, Jalen Williams, and love their backcourt with Aiden Holloway, a freshman coming in, Denver Jones transfer from FIU, uh, Trey Donaldson, former top 100 kid, stepping into the a feature role a little bit. Um, I thought this team looked awesome in the first game of the year, losing to Baylor by six, and they had a, a lead late. And they've basically played a bunch of bad to mid teams since and just lost on the road at App State. And I am very, very slightly worried about Auburn. Um, 
App State's a good team. I don't. I think you know there's there's a, a decent chance that we have some Carolina fans who listen who have uh, some overlap with App State ties and might already know this. Uh, but Dustin Kearns is doing a fantastic job with that program. Like he has them contending in the the Sun Belt most years, which I don't know if that's really ever been the case in App State's basketball history. Um, yeah, won 19 games two years ago, 16 last year. Uh, yeah, we haven't seen App have this success since the late 2000s. Um, but that being said, like, they led this game against Auburn wire to wire pretty much. Like, they took the lead in this, I think, late first half and never looked back. Um, and that alarms me. Auburn shot three for 27, and they're a, a team where the three-point shot is – just paramount to their identity. So when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, I mean, I'm with that. You know, I'm an App State stand because they are led by a Charlotte and Northside Christian legend, Donovan Gregory, senior guard. It's my guy. But He was, um, hooping. He was hooping against Auburn. Nah, he's good, bro. Like, you know. Being boys with a bunch of guys over at Gaston Day, you know, my guy Nate Hinton, my guy Quan McClooney, a bunch of super high-level basketball players. They used to play Northside Christian, and Donovan Gregory was always, him and Ray John Tucker was an absolute movie in high school. So that that was always fun to see. Um, I'm going to stay in the SEC here. This team is 6-2, and two, but dude. You just you can't convince me that Texas A&M is a good basketball team right now. Mm, they Wade suck. Taylor is a great basketball player. Wade Taylor rocks. They are not a good basketball team. Like they have played competition twice this year and in both cases they have been beaten at every level of the game. Um I get it. It, it it's easy to lean towards a team that does have an all-American caliber guy like Wade Taylor. But dude they are struggling. Like, they get bruised inside. They only scored 47 points against a Virginia team that looked awful just a week and a half ago. Um, FAU, I'll forgive them, because FAU is back to looking like an absolute powerhouse. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I I just haven't seen anything from this team to make me think, like, okay, when Texas A&M gets into conference play, they're going to be just fine playing against all these insane teams in the SEC. Yeah, I, I don't know if they got anybody outside of Wade Taylor who can get a bat, who can get you a bucket. Uh, who knows when Tyrese Radford's coming back? That's huge for them. Um, yeah, as ACC guys, we remember how good he was for Virginia Tech, like a rebounding machine as a six-one, six-two guard. That dude's insane. Like. 
how he's able to get the most out of his frame like that. Um, but yeah, and, and again, we've, <laughs> you know, staying in the ACC, I guess we, we've seen our team struggle to top 50 at John Paul Jones arena. Like in, in theory, it's like maybe shouldn't knock him too much for that loss uh, at Virginia. But I just, I mean, Virginia's good. I, I think they're a back end top 25 team, but it's, uh, and Ryan Dunn might be the best defensive player in the country, but it, this is, this just doesn't feel like a Virginia team of old. That's, no, I don't know. I mean, I guess the argument I would make is if you just look at the top 25 right now, I'm pretty confident in 20 or 21 of those teams' abilities to beat Virginia. And Texas A&M is not one of the teams I feel confident in doing that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just bad, man. 59 to 47, not a good look. Like, someone get Wade Taylor help. That's what I'm asking here. <laughs> All right, I'll take it to a team that I'm not concerned about, and it's Kentucky. Well, so we'll once again, is that thing? This turned into an SEC podcast, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, we hit on it some with their spurt ability and the the NBA guards. How good Trey Mitchell's been for them is just a, a do it all big. Uh, they just got uh, Aaron Bradshaw back. He's knocking off the rust, so they'll have a little more size. Like some of these losses, like the like the one at Wilmington, um, might happen from time to time. Cause it's a really young team aside from Mitchell and Reeves, they play a ton of freshmen. Um, and there's a chance that at some point in mid January, like guys like Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham and DJ Wagner could hit that freshman wall and they might lose a couple more games that they should win. Um, but I'm still confident just based on the way this team is playing offense. Um, they're going to be a threat in March and, you know, historically, Cal has done a really good job of of getting like these freshman one and done types to buy in on defense. They're not great defensively right now, but I think that'll change come like late conference play. I'm with you, man. Also, they're going to continue to integrate Bradshaw and just get better. So, I mean, anyone hitting the panic button on Kentucky, like they're young, they're going to lose games that they're not supposed to lose. So, I'm not worried about Kentucky at all. Um, another team that I'm not worried about in the slightest as Marquette. Like I understand they lost a game to Wisconsin and you know, Wisconsin there's, they're six and two. They've looked pretty solid outside of the two losses, but man, this Marquette team is just awesome. And they just didn't have it. But Cam Jones is a freak. Tyler Kolek is probably the best point guard in the nation. Like I love Shaka smart. So, I mean, I just, Anyone that thinks Marquette is is in trouble, don't just go ahead and, and put that take in the back of your mind. Because I promise you, they're going to be in the top 10 for almost the entire year, and they're going to be fine in the Big East. So I'm not worried about Marquette at all. I'm slightly more worried about Marquette than I am Kentucky, but that's because I just generally distrust Chaka. The Chaka's great in the regular season. <laughs> um, Oso was so bad against Wisconsin. That made no sense to me because, uh, I mean, Oso's been incredible this year. Like, he yeah. does everything you want in a modern big. Like, he's looked like a – I mean, is it insane to say he's looked like a fringe lottery pick up until that game? Yeah, I mean like, – The I offensive skill and rim protection combo, like – Watching what he did against right. Purdue alone, I think, makes him in lottery pick consideration. Yeah. So uh, they need to need to get hopefully just a one-off game for him because he's for real. Like, if, if you haven't watched Marquette yet, um, yeah, Cola gets all the headlines because he's like the hard-nosed New England 
Caucasian dude, but like, oh, dude, he's the he's where's Chris Collinsworth when you need him? He's gritty. He plays the game the right way. That's what they say about Tyler Kolek. But I f- I feel like Igadaro is like the the secret superstar of that team. Just what he does with his passing, his and his defensive aptitude. So, um, could we just for the sake of being absolute petty haters? For this last team we're worried about, could we just hit a three-two-one and say it at the same time? Because I know we're thinking of the same team, and this goes out to the crazy cast, man. Um, All right, three-two-one, Duke. Duke. Come on, man. Y'all might be trash. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I I have like I generally have a rule that I don't I don't really talk trash to Duke until uh, or about Duke until UNC beats them. I I like I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's really tough not to right now when they're like in the exact same position that UNC was this time last year. Of just it will here's my thing. I'm fine with with bantering Duke just simply because one unlimited banter on us last year. Like we get it. Y'all were hurt because because of the shot in the final four, it's fine. There's no need to take it out on us for having a bad season. But I'm also fine with it because, bro, it's Duke and UNC. If UNC was three and eighteen heading into a Duke game, they'd still have a chance to beat Duke. So, like, <laughs> Duke can beat us regardless of how good they are. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. man, it's time to take a look in the mirror. First off, I do want to say this: I I hope Tyrese Proctor is fine. Like. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're a UNC or Duke fan and wish an injury on the opposing team's players. I just think you're a really crappy person. Um, but yeah, it's just, dude, first off, they're predictable. I mean, I'm, they're just not like they do the same thing. They do an awful job of running actions for their shooters. Like they have some of the best shooters in the nation. They run zero actions for them. And it's just like, every time I watch them play, it seems to me like it's they're very, very slow and they're not decisive in their actions. And then it ends up being Roach and Filipowski freelance pick and roll to see how the mm-hmm. to see how the shot clock ends. And I they're both great players, but that's just not gonna win you that's just not gonna win you basketball games. And I, I do think that part of it, like you know, like our guy G Wizzy, second name drop of the pod, said, like, I do think they're a little soft. Like they don't have that Harrison Ingram that's like up in people's faces, flexing on people, trying to get into some beef. Like they're making TikToks. So, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, they just need to toughen up a little bit. But man, y'all were talking about Hubert. I think it's time to look, y- look at y'all's coach for a little bit, man. <laughs> hey, let's enjoy it while we can because, again, I, I'm still – there's a – decent a pretty good chance that they get it turned around and we're sad oh no the thing is the thing is that's why i wanted to do it because like i have no doubt in my mind that duke is still a top 15 team they have way too much talent i still don't but i i think they're a little more in trouble than that i think the seal is there for them to get back to like top five Uh, the seal is there for them to be top 10 the only thing that makes me hesitant to not think that is the way Shire got them turned around by the tournament last year was pretty dang impressive. And mm-hmm. maybe he's just like one of those late bloomer coaches. Like he, he's not going to be good in the, in the non-con and maybe that's what it is. I, it's going to be interesting. I still think they're good. I still think them and UNC will split this year. I don't yeah, think, you know, I UNC's going to wipe the floor with them or anything, but mm-hmm. 
it's a UNC basketball podcast, and you cannot simply expect us to not talk our shit when UNC <laughs> is better than Duke. Like, look, man, it's just a fact. Like, unfortunately, I watched Georgia Tech run the same exact Spain PNR play seven times in a row, and you couldn't stop it. Like, that's coaching. Hey, it's, the, it's the same thing they couldn't stop in 2022 in Cameron. Yeah. Like we just we we ran that same spam pick and roll over and over and over again. I'm telling you, man. Let, let me and you go coach a basketball team, and all we're gonna run is Spain and horns variations, and we might <laughs> we might win 20 games. But um, yeah, so I'm gonna go to the other team that I'm not worried about at all. Um, they only have one loss, but I'm still not worried about Miami. I know they got embarrassed by Kentucky, but like, dude, their guards are just too good and they're too experienced. They're not young. Norchad is an elite big. Mm-hmm. I love Laranega. So it's like, hey man, they got embarrassed. Cool. They're six and one. Like, I, they're going to be fine. I still think they're just a shoe in for top four in the ACC. I'm not worried about Miami in the slightest. Mm-hmm. Do I have one more? Or are we done? You do have one more. <laughs> You've given us the, t- we've given, We've given two worries and one not worry. That was my second not worry. What's your second not worry? Uh Purdue. Like oh, yeah. I know I'm some of that. those same some of those same problems surfaced. I think Braden Smith had six turnovers against Northwestern. Uh it came out on the night that we recorded this and took it to Iowa. It's not like Iowa's world beaters, but they seem to let out some pent up aggression against them. Um Edie's a cheat code. I think Braden Smith is way better than he showed against Northwestern. And he's got plenty of time to just continue to grow from this. I mean, I know you can say same mistakes he made last year, but it's it's a good thing that like he's still a sophomore and still scratching the surface of his potential. Um, yeah, I mean, I still think Purdue might be the best team in the country. I I bop I moved them down to three in my rankings out of like obligation, but yeah, I still kind of think they're the best team in the country. I'm with that. Also, like Personally, wasn't a fan of what they fouled Lance Jones on. Lance Jones out on. I thought it was a pretty bad call. Um, not saying it's a guaranteed win if he doesn't foul out, but like certainly improves their chances. Also, it's college basketball, and any team that has a player like Boo Booey can beat you on any given night. Like he's elite, and he played like an elite guard. Like that's just all there is to it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm actually. I'm not skeptical of Arizona by any means, but I I am just a little bit like, was the Duke win as impressive as we thought? It's, it's looking less impressive as time goes on. They deserve the number one ranking. That's not what I'm saying at all, but it's going to be interesting to see. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much pretty much all I got, man. We're going to be dropping this on Tuesday morning, so uh, make sure you're listening because you're going to have about 12 hours until the tip-off of the big game, and you need to you need to hear our insight, man. It's uh, it's been a pleasure, Riley. Per usual, man. You got anything you want to tell the people before we go? By the time they're listening to this, I should have a piece on Elliot Cadeau up for Heat Check CBB. So follow me on Twitter. You'll see it tagged there. Uh, yeah, make sure you tune in to us for your reaction. Hopefully, the next time you listen to us, we will just be uh, insufferable for non-UNC fans because – We'll be talking about UNC being a top five team and a national title contender after a resounding win over UConn. But, hey, if it doesn't happen, if we lose, vibes are still going to be good. We still believe in this team. We still like this team. And that's it, man. I'm ready to get out of here. 
I'm with it, man. Like he said, he's dropping something on heat check. So y'all better go check that heat (laughs) until next time. We'll be talking to y'all about the UConn game in the next episode. Everyone be safe. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.